The good news is we don't go home now, and we get an incredible treat because we have with us really just what a significant mother in the faith to so many, a leader that is loved and cherished and respected throughout the world. Like, that's not an exaggeration by any means. She has been such a blessing to the body of Christ at large, but in particular, the vineyard denomination, which our church is newly a part of. And so today is a special treat, because not only is she an incredible teacher of the word, but she's just set, she brings such an authority spiritually and intimacy with Jesus that I pray is imparted today as we receive from her. Could you give a warm Hope Astoria welcome to our dear, dear sister in Christ, Pastor Eleanor Mumford. You are quite extraordinary. You're so lovely. And I always think, are they lovely every week like this? They are. I mean, they're just so gracious and very, have you noticed, enthusiastic. If there's anything I love about Denise, she's very high on enthusiasm. <laughs> and it's very infectious. Today is extraordinary. I mean, every time you see this happen to anybody, it just chokes me up. It's so moving. It's so profound. And Jesus gave us such a dramatic illustration of what it means to leave one life behind and to be reborn to another. It's very, very lovely. And you're right, we could all go home now on happy days. <laughs> however, however, I'm now going to inflict just a few words upon you, upon you with my funny, strange English accent, um, which, of course, is modelled on the Queen, although she likes to say that hers is modelled on me. <laughs> so... Since we last met, we've all been, is it fair to say, through the mill? I don't know if that's a phrase you would use. Basically, we have been through the mill. We've been through two ghastly years. I suppose it's about three since I saw you. And then we've had this wretched thing, which we don't even use the word anymore. But two years that has been almost, it's just the whole world has been disrupted, okay? And so on the back of it, I've been thinking about things with which to encourage us. One of the biggest gifts we can give to one another is just plain, simple, straightforward encouragement. So my text, if you like a text, which makes it feel a bit grown up, the text is um, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And for the next few minutes, there you are magically, in the next few minutes, I'm going to rattle through some of the scriptures and I want to encourage you. Because there is a sense in which over the last two years, everything has changed. Bubbles and masks and social distancing and this and that and lockdown and all that stuff. I mean, it has been hideous. And everything has changed. And in one way, people are saying the world will never be quite the same again. And I rather believe them. However, people, at one level, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Revelation. Revelation. I can't see very well. These, these very bright lights, aren't they? Very bright lights. Okay. <laughs> I was in the Spirit, wrote John, in Revelation chapter 4, and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The God of heaven and earth is sitting on the throne, sitting confidently, securely, immovably, as he always has and always will, and nothing has changed. And as long as I hold on to that truth, 
everything around me, the world can come and go, the mountains can rise and fall. If I know that God is on the throne, all bets are off. And I would encourage you with those words alone. He is on the throne. He's at the very control center, the nerve center, the control room, if you like, of the whole universe, ever has been and ever will be. And that is an extraordinary confidence that we can take. And, of course, in the same part of Revelation, John saw the Lion of Judah that had triumphed. The word is Nike. Half of you are probably wearing Nike. Triumph. The Lion of Judah has triumphed by his raw power. And then, in the same passage, he looked and he saw a lamb, as if it had been slain on the throne. So we have the lion in all his power, we have the lamb in all his sacrifice, and we have this complete vision of God in his heaven, on his throne, as he ever has been and ever will be. We have a wonderful, well, we did have a wonderful um, preacher in London called Charles Spurgeon, a name that some of you will know, um, and he wrote this, he said, providence, which is another word for sovereignty, God on the throne, sovereignty is a soft pillow for anxious heads. And if you take nothing else away, take that. That's your party bag for the day, okay? Sovereignty is a soft pillow for anxious heads. And it's probably true to say, if I'm being thoroughly disclosing, John and I, my husband, who's actually at another church this morning, um, he and I have probably been through the last six months almost the worst of our whole lives, just for pain and anguish and difficulty. And yet... The sovereignty of God has kept us asleep at night. It is a soft pillow for anxious heads. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing, all right, given all that, then what do we do? People, we keep worshipping. We keep worshipping. We don't stop. And our understanding of God being on the throne leads us inevitably to worshipping him and falling down before him. He is worthy. He's worthy, worthy of it all. I was in a meeting in the city this week. We've had such fun. We've walked around these different places and the vineyard people and this, that, and the other. And this, The Lord is alive and well. Had you noticed? He really is on the job. It's amazing. And we were at a meeting at, um, in Manhattan. It was quite a small meeting. And we were just doing, you know, t- talking and so forth. And then at the end, this young guy, improbably, got up and started playing the piano. I mean, the worship leader, was, you know, she'd done her thing and it was lovely. But this boy just started playing. It was absolutely inspired. And then two or three people started getting up and started singing. And it was just unspeakably beautiful. And all the rest of the evening, everything we'd said and done sort of faded away because of the immediacy of worshipping him. And we just kept singing day and night, day and night, let incense arise. It was really, really special. So worship is so, so, so key. We sing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. They sang across the courts of heaven. And we are the direct descendants of them. We sing as they do. And of course, that's where the whole vineyard story began. You may have heard it already. But basically, the vineyard began, and I have to say, if I may, to you in this room and to all of you out there, live streaming as brilliantly as you can, Quite honestly, this is, it's just sweet to be a part of the vineyard. And you have actually become that, haven't you? 
I can't tell you how wonderful that is. Because it's just, it's not people understand me. This is not the only church. This is not the best church. This is not the biggest church. In terms of church history, we're very, very young. In terms of the church universal, we're very, very small. But we are very, very significant. And to us who are a part of that, it's a very, very precious thing. And we began by worshipping. It was probably 35 or 40 years ago now. There was a little group in California. Can you believe it? California, where they all wear Hawaiian shirts and everything, which was a huge culture shock to John and me as we came into the vineyard. I love your shirt, but it was a culture shock. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look at us, really. And you haven't even seen my husband. He has turnips in his pajamas. I mean, he's very, very conservative. However, um, these people started worshipping in California. They were a bunch of little Pharisees. They'd read their Bibles from cover to cover. They'd been to more prayer meetings than they'd had hot dinners. They were burnt out, fed up, cross with everything. And there were just a tiny little group of them, and they went into somebody's back room, and they were desperate. And one of the guys, who was actually a street kid, really, picked up a guitar, and they just started to sing. And they started to sing to Jesus. And rather than just about him, Lord, how great you are, which is amazing, they sang to him. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we're desperate. Jesus, we love you. Create in me, the first song I ever learned, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. And as they started to sing, the presence of God came. And it was a wonderful thing. Now, recently, we had a very, very marvelous Presbyterian minister from actually um, Virginia came to speak at our national conference in the UK. He was a fantastic preacher, wonderful handling of the scriptures. But he didn't really know the vineyard, and he came because he knew John and me, which is a very big trust. And we invited him, which again was a trust, because we trusted him and knew him well. In he came, and he preached the scriptures, and he was blown away by the worship. He'd never come across anything like it. So he went home to his church in um, Virginia, and he told them where he'd been and what he'd been doing. And he said, I, got, I learned two things about the vineyard, he said. I learned that when they invite the Spirit of God to come, they really expect that he will. We invite the presence of God, and we expect him to come. And then he said, and the other thing we do is, the other thing I've seen the vineyard do, they run towards pain. They run towards pain. That is who we are, people, and that is what we're for. We're for worship and we're for compassion. Worship and compassion. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And do you know what? I'm running off my, way, way off my notes, which is very dangerous. However, what I'm saying to you is keep, keep worshiping. Even during these awful days, we've been locked down, Don and I, on a farm in the west of England, which is, I'm, there are worse places to do lockdown, I promise you. But I would just march around the fields on my own in the morning, singing all on my own. Praise God, nobody could hear me. And do you know the song that kept me throughout this time? It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. I can be sick. The people around me can be dying. Things can be happening to right and left. But as long as it is well with my soul, which you, my dear brother, and Kevin, you, you've discovered that it is well with your soul. Whatever else happens, whatever the questions, whatever the experiences, it is well with your soul, my new brothers in the faith. It's just so sweet. I'm very touched and very touched. So we keep worshipping, okay? We realize nothing has changed. We keep worshiping, and then we stand firm in our faith. Through thick and thin people, we stand firm in our faith. 
Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He wrote 57 verses, and here's a Bible scholar, he'll verify or leave. But basically, he will um, verify that if 57 verses of 1 Corinthians 15 is the most towering teaching on the resurrection, which is everything in which we have our hope. We have a hope of eternal life because Jesus rose from the dead. And he taught for 57 verses, did Paul, on the theology of the resurrection. And then, verse 58, he said, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, what did he say? Stand firm. It brings it all down from these towering, glittering truths. It brings it down to the reality of everyday people. We stand firm. We hang in. We do not give up. We stand firm because of the hope that he has given us. And it's a wonderful, wonderful truth for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And we have truths to tell that no other institution on the face of the earth can tell you. No social services, no citizens' advice bureaus, no help groups, no this, that, no, nothing. Nothing can assure you of heaven, as can the Scriptures and as can the Word of God and as can His Spirit. So we are on a winning team, people, and it's very, very good news, in case you hadn't noticed. You think Denise is the only enthusiast around here. That's why we're friends, okay? <laughs> oh, yes. She and I are in competition. And then the next thing I like to suggest we do is through all this, people, through thick and thin, through good days, bad days, we shine in the darkness. The world is looking to the church to shine. Now, the world doesn't even realize it sometimes, but quite honestly, the world is looking for us to shine. And again, a wonderful, I, I love this scripture, it is Paul writing to the Philippians in chapter 2. He tells them to be blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Now, if that was true of Philippi 2,000 years ago, what do you think it is of New York today? A warped and crooked generation. London is the same, a warped and crooked generation. Wherever we turn, it's so manifestly true. And then Paul said, if you become blameless and pure, if you walk the walk, if you do as Jesus said, if you try and represent him in everything that you do, from morning till night, family, neighborhood, jobs, whatever, then, he said, you will shine like stars in the sky as you hold out the words of truth. And my question to you, my brothers and sisters, is how hard does a star try? deep philosophical question. Do you think a star comes out at night, oh, I've got to make this work, I've got to shine? A star reflects the sun. We don't have to go out into our workplaces and our families and our homes and our neighborhoods and think, I've got to do this right, I've got to be a good Christian. You love Jesus. His goodness emanates from you by his spirit. Therefore, you shine. You shine. And whether you know it or not, the people around you are looking to you to shine. And, of course, the other thing they look to us for is simply to prove faithful to everything that we believe. They're not looking to flaky Christians who are on and off one day from another. They're looking to us to believe and to stand for everything that we espouse. Prove faithful, says Paul. It was Mother Teresa who said, God is not calling us to be successful. He's calling us to be faithful. Just faithful, good people. And I made a list here, goodness, faithfulness, righteousness, truthfulness are incredibly attractive. 
And whether it knows it or not, like I said, the world is looking to us for those qualities. They are hardwired into us by the Holy Spirit. You simply need to be good, faithful, righteous, and true. And the Lord will be very well pleased. And the truth is, as the days get darker around us, the brightness and the shining of the star of the gospel shines ever brighter. And we represent it. It was quite sweet. John and I we went on a date last night. We went on a date in New York. It was so fun. And we sat in this wonderful restaurant. We had a really lovely time. It was so good. And you know, somebody came who we recognized, and we suddenly realized, we know this man. He was an Englishman that we knew. And you know, by the end of the evening, they went and sat at one table, we were at another table, and as we left, the Lord gave John a word, what we would call a prophetic word. So he went to this man, he said, look, I don't want to interrupt your, your dinner, but this is what I think the Lord is saying, just whispered in his ear, and the others didn't even realize it. Just like that, the word of the Lord can come. The word of the Lord can come. You can get an idea. You can get an impression. I do sometimes on trains or buses in the UK. I will get an impression and I'll say to somebody, do you know what? And this is a lovely line to learn. You say to somebody, look, forgive me, but I am I'm a Christian and I, but you'll think me a little batty. I always say that too because it's manifestly true that I am. You'll think me a little bit strange, a little bit batty, but I am a believer. I believe there's a God in heaven and I know that he loves you. And I think he wants to tell you, da, 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 da. And sometimes God gives me a word. He wants to tell you that. I had one um, to say to a woman in the train recently, uh, I, want, I think the Lord wants to tell you that you're a really wonderful young mother. And she just, Pow. that's all she needed. For crying out loud, how hard is that? That, people, is the encouragement that God wants to give us to give to people as we stand firm, as we prove faithful, as we shine like stars in the sky, as we hold out the words of life to these people who long to have them. And then, of course, the other thing, I've lost track of my, uh, you dear man at the back who are doing this slide thing. I don't know where I am. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could tell me where I am. I, just the other thing to say, during all this funny time and from now on out, as part of the Vineyard people, I would encourage you to keep doing the stuff. Now, that's not a very good grammatical phrase, but it was invented by John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard and who was the most wonderful, wonderful, godly amazing, amazing man. But he was a little loose with the English language. And so doing the stuff is what we would call ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it was. It was keep on doing the stuff. Day by day, morning till night, people, just keep on doing these things. Keep on learning to listen to the Lord. So that, like John last night, you get a little word for somebody in a restaurant. Keep on watching to see what God is doing. We're going to invite the Spirit of God to come in a minute, and you can watch to see. This is very physical, people. The Christian faith is a physical thing. You can see the Spirit of God coming on people. I mean, I know you don't have to be terribly clever to watch it on Denise this morning, because it was manifest, wasn't it? I mean, the Spirit of God was on her. The joy of the Lord was upon her. And it's an infectious thing. So we carry it, you see. So learn to listen. Learn to watch. Learn to pray for one another. Learn to lay hands on the sick. We haven't been able to do that for two years. But people, we're free now, okay? We're getting on with life. And it's appropriate to lay a hand on somebody if they're happy for you to do that. I was in a church in England a year or two ago, and a woman came to me just as I was leaving, and she said, will you pray for me? And you know, I have to confess, it was not my finest hour. I just wanted to get out. I was hungry. I wanted my lunch. And so I thought, oh. So I said, well, of course, <laughs> I said. 
two-faced, hypocritical thing that I was in that moment. And so I said, yes, of course. And I said, um, what, what can I pray for? And it, well, she had two cancerous tumors in her stomach. And I thought, oh, dear Lord, it could have been a spot or a you know, twisted ankle or cold. But no, it was a tumor. So in almost impatience, uh, I don't know, I just slapped my hand on her tummy. Because that's what I do, all right? I just do it because this is physical. And Paul said, lay your hands on the sick. Lay your hands on them. Over and over we're told throughout the New Testament, lay your hands on people. Anyway, I laid my hands on her tummy, and then I went and had lunch. A couple of, thank you, Jesus. A couple of years later, I went back to the church because there were some friends there that we knew, and this woman came running up and she said, do you remember me? Of course I didn't. And then she, oh, honestly. And then she said, well, actually, you, you prayed for me at the end of that service two years ago. And um, I want to tell you what happened. She said, I didn't have two tumors. It turned out there were 22. And from that day forward, they went. I thought, my Jesus, what? And she said, do you know what, Eleanor? Many people have prayed for me over a very long time. Nobody had touched me. Nobody had laid hands on me, Okay. Lay hands on the sick people. So when we get to pray at the end now, if somebody wants to be prayed for, lay your hands on them. Lay your hand on a shoulder. Or lay your hand on any part if they want you to. It, I mean, we can be delicate, we can be sensitive, we can be careful. The first time I was ever prayed for... How are we doing? Is this all right? <laughs> Let me tell you very quickly. John Wimber came rolling into London. Big man. Rolled into London wearing a Hawaiian shirt, Reeboks, chewing gum in London, in the church. Major culture problem. However, he was wonderful. So I went to the first meeting that evening with him. And my John had already met him. He'd been to California, so he knew what we were into. And I took, we took some people from our church, sat at the back at Holy Trinity Brompton, which is the big church in London where the Alpha thing began. And uh, we were sitting there, and I was very, very skeptical. I had come to know the Holy Spirit, but I was very skeptical. And so Wimber preached from the scriptures, and that's so reassuring. When you hear somebody speak from the Bible, you think, we're safe. And then he puts, he puts his stuff down. He said, right, people, uh, we're going to pray for each other. And then he just thought, walking, walking up and down like this. And then he was as if it were listening to dictation from on high. He was just looking up and listening. And then he would say, there's somebody here who's got a problem with the fourth lumbar vertebra or whatever. I thought, wow. And then he would go on and talk about some other things. And then it was as if he were reading x-ray plates off one of those television hospital programs. And there's somebody who went to the doctor on Thursday who diagnosed such and such, and you've been anxious ever since, and the Lord wants to heal you. And I, I mean, this was wild. I loved it, but I hated it. I was uncomfortable. It was very physical. And then he said, and there's some people in this room with athlete's foot. Do you know what that is, athlete's foot? Nasty stuff on your feet. And I remember thinking... <laughs> I remember thinking, if you've got an athlete's foot, brother, keep your socks on and don't tell me anything. I don't want to know. I do not need to know this. So I was getting cross. At that point, he said, and there are women in this place who are struggling with a certain gynecological condition. That did it for me. I thought, how dare you? You're a man, and with great respect, you're an American in London. You're not well-dressed. Who do you think you are? I came from a home which was very uptight. My mother was very pretty sweet, but emotionally dysfunctional. And when I got married at the age of 31, okay, I married at 31, 44 years ago. And as I married, she said to me, my darling, 
I have had two babies, I don't know how, and don't ask me anything. And on the back of that, I went into marriage. I mean, that's what I came from. And I tell you that to tell you this, to have this man in church talking about this stuff was shocking. But what was most shocking was, of course, that it applied to me on that day. I thought, oh, dear Lord. And then, of course, you may know, my heart started beating. My, I was hot. I was all sweaty. And Wimber very sweetly said, now, we brought some people with us. This is early days. This is unseen in our country at this point. Very, very early 80s. He said, we have people here who would love to pray for you. We've trained them. You can learn to do this. You can have classes to do this. You can learn how to listen. You can learn how to watch. You can learn how to lay hands on. You can learn how to pray. Jesus taught his disciples. He's still teaching us. And so he said, well, I've got a little team, and they're out the back, and if you'd like to go out, well, of course, I thought, I've got to. I was so embarrassed. But then looking back, I thought, well, if I limp, they're going to think it's athlete's foot. <laughs> God have mercy on me. Do you know, I was not confessing to anything worse. So I went out the back, and I thought, well, there's bound to be a lady here, a woman. She's probably a nurse, maybe a midwife, comfortable and discreet. But oh, dear me, no. I was met by a young Californian man who was a little bit shorter than me, and I'm not tall. And he, it was summer in London, and he was wearing a sleeveless vest. Okay? This was most unpleasant. Particularly because he was the hairiest man since Esau. <laughs> Everywhere was hair, tufts of hair, arms, nose, ears, back of the neck, everywhere I looked, it was just grotesque. And he said to me, how can I pray for you, honey? <laughs> Nobody called me honey, not even John calls me honey. So anyway, I just burbled or whatever, and fair play, he prayed very sweetly, but now this is what he did. He said, okay, now go, go and pray for the sick. It was extraordinary. And I went shaking back to the back, you know, back row. And I said to John, I've got to go to the front. I've got to go to see that man, Wimber. I've got to learn to do what he's doing because we're onto something, John. This is really special. I mean, I'm an early adopter, but I was so excited. So I, John, God bless him, realized it was the Spirit of God, took me to meet Wimber. And he said, now, will you take her with you? My wife, Eleanor, you met this morning. And will you teach her all, she, all you know? And for two hours, Wimber took me around praying for the sick. And he taught me what to look for. Look at the color rising as you pray for that person. Look at their eyelids fluttering as the Spirit of God comes on. You can't make that happen. Look at the slight trembling you sometimes see. Look at the gleam. Look at the sweatiness on hands. Not always, but very often you will see these things, and they're little indicators of the presence of God. And it was so wonderful, and we watched people, and I just learned so much. And then he got tired, he was jet-lagged, he zipped up his rather awful little bomber jacket and went off down the, down the road to the hotel. And I ran after him. And I said, John, what was it that you did? How did you know those things? And he just looked at me slightly, sort of, whew, a little bit, first, you know, irritable. He was tired. And he just turned around and said, receive it. That was it. I'd had my inner workings talked about publicly. I'd had my hands slapped by a very hairy Carifolian. And I'd had my forehead bashed by the pastor. Now, this was a very shocking thing. But do you know, I tell you this, I know it sounds comic, I'm telling you this with a real passion in me to tell you, this is how it is, people. This is how we function. It's a wonderful thing. And we are able to do these wonderful things and to represent Jesus to people. 
because he's trusted us with this. He's trusted us to go and pray for the sick. He's trusted us to go and speak words of encouragement to people. He's trusted us to cast out demons when we come across them. Nobody else has the authority to do it. He's trusted us with his authority. Do you remember, in, I'm nearly finished, do you remember when, um, was it in Nazareth, I think, when he stood up and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, which is what you do week in and week out, to bind up the brokenhearted, to recovery of sight for the blind. He said, you've got, he said, I've got that authority on me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then at the end of his ministry, the last words before he rose and went back to heaven were, all authority has been given to me, therefore you go, baptizing all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Did you see the drama of that moment this morning? As Denise had the authority of Jesus to challenge you, to ask you those questions, and then to baptize you in his name in the presence of of your brothers and sisters. It was an incredibly dramatic moment. And then Jesus said, and now you go, do the same, and go and teach everything that I've taught you. What did he teach them? Preach the gospel, pray for the sick, bind up the brokenhearted, cast out the demons, go to the prisons, feed the hungry, clothe the, all that stuff. This is who we are, people. This is our, well, it's the church's inheritance, but this is particularly precious to us in the vineyard. And my last thing to say to you, and I haven't got a slide for this because I felt the Lord said to me this morning to do it. The first promise the Lord ever gave me when I joined the vineyard, which is now best part of 40 years ago, he said, I sing, Isaiah 27, I sing of a fruitful vineyard. The Lord is singing of a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no harm may come to it. And as Wimber rather wonderfully said, the vineyard is but a thread in a great tapestry, which of course is the body of Christ. But it is a thread of God's weaving. So, isn't this fun? Isn't it great to be brothers and sisters in the faith, to be called to do the stuff that Jesus did in the company of one another, watching people get saved, watching people get baptized, watching people get healed, watching people get free, and worshiping our hearts out. It's pretty good stuff, huh? Why don't you stand up and we'll just pray as we close. The oldest prayer of the Christian church is the favorite church uh, prayer of the vineyard. Come Holy Spirit, vene spiritus sanctus. Come Holy Spirit, and I invite you now to come and to bless the precious precious men and women in this room this morning. Would you come? And Lord, would you extend your blessing to every man, woman, and child who is joining us on stream? No less precious, no less open to the power of your Holy Spirit in this moment than are we. Come, Holy Spirit. And I know there were words given and there's a little team of people who would love to pray for you out of the back. I had a couple of words in the taxi this morning because that's just how we roll, isn't it? And one was about somebody who had a skin condition that would be grateful for prayer. And one was somebody who has a back problem probably related to scoliosis possibly when you were young. 
That was another one. And then the other one was, and it, you can just stand here and receive it, for those who would love to know, receive like I did, when that boy prayed for me, go and pray for the sick. And you'll receive when Wimber prayed for me, go and listen to the Lord, hear the words that he speaks. And if that is you, if there is in you a sort of appetite, a little bit of a stirring like there was in me all those days ago, then why don't you just hold out your hands and I'm going to pray for you right here and now. You don't have to go anywhere. Raise your hands to the Lord. Lord, this is a sign of what I want. Holy Spirit of God, would you come, bless, anoint, and fill every man and woman in this place with their hands open before you empty-handed and ready to be filled. Now come, Holy Spirit. Fill the men and women right here, right now. Take them out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Take them to their neighborhoods. Take them to their families. Take them to their circles of friends. Take them to their offices, their schoolrooms, their homes, wherever it is that you live, move, and have your being. Would God take you empowered to live for him and to represent him. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Lord, bless this man. Give him more. Increase your power.